Okay, stepmom, before we get to this episode, I want to make sure that you know what's up. So to start, I want you to imagine the day when you're on the same page as your partner about your stepfamily life. When there's no longer an unspoken turf war with his ex-wife. When your day doesn't get hijacked by the latest stepfamily saga. When your thoughts aren't consumed by co-parenting stressors or issues that are just outside of your control. When you're confident in your relationship with your partner, your stepchildren, and even his ex. When you're not blindsided by conflict about tedious issues like pickup and drop-off and medical appointments and clothes going back and forth and the holiday schedule. When your relationship with the ex doesn't cause you stress and anxiety. When you feel confident and in control and like you have a unique place in your stepfamily life. Now, if you're thinking, wow, Jamie, that sounds really great, but our stepfamily situation is very high conflict. There is no way that can happen for us. Yes, yes, it can. And I can show you how to make it happen. Enrollment for my signature coaching program, Kick-Ass Stepmom, Kick-Ass Life, is now open. The coaching program is for stepmoms who are ready for serious transformation in their stepfamily life and are willing to do the work to make it happen. Stepmoms who want to feel more in control of their emotions, who feel like their stepfamily stressors are driving a wedge in their marriage, who want to disengage but don't know if it's right for their situation. Stepmoms who are looking for connection and individualized feedback on their unique stepfamily situation, and who are looking for a plan because they know that something has to change. In short, I've combined my top coaching and mindset strategies and put them all in one place so that you can thrive amongst the tough stuff and live a kick-ass life amongst your stepfamily stress. I'm always asked what I did to go from sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, questioning everything, to the way I feel now about my stepfamily life. This program outlines exactly what I did, the exact process that I used, and that hundreds of other stepmoms have used to make some serious change. So if you are done feeling the way you've been feeling and are ready to improve your relationships and set boundaries, feel more in control, and to stop being hijacked by it all, check out Kick-Ass Stepmom, Kick-Ass Life. You can get all the information and see what other stepmoms are saying at www.jamiescrimshire.com forward slash course. Right now, I'm offering the course for over $100 off and giving you access to the private forum where stepmoms in my membership hang out. This way, you can ask me for support whenever you need it. Don't wait. I only open enrollment a couple times a year, and the cart is closing soon. www.jamiescrimshire.com forward slash course. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. Raw and real conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But each week, I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. All right, guys. If you are ready to cut the BS, to stop caring what other people think, to stop living your life according to what other people think a good mom or a good stepmom should do, to improve your relationships, to feel more in control of your life, 
this episode is for you. Coach, creator, author, Heather Chauvin, she's on the show, and I just cannot wait for you to hear all that she has to say. Heather supports women to get out of survival mode, to become a conscious parent, and to create a dream life. She says that living in survival mode isn't doing your family any favors, and she's right. It's robbing you of joy. It's robbing your kids of a present parent. It's robbing your loved ones of fulfilling relationships. It's robbing the world of your gifts. In this episode, we dive into Heather's story and how her experience with stage four cancer was the catalyst to taking control of her life. What's holding most women back from having the growth and relationships and confidence and success and boundaries that they want. We talk about conscious parenting, conflict management, communication, and honestly, so much more. Now, we recorded this episode on a day when my morning had been completely hijacked, and I was feeling overwhelmed and in over my head with work and experiencing mom guilt and feeling like I just couldn't get a grip. And it was like, it was meant to be. This conversation was a breath of fresh air, and it was full of reminders that I needed to hear. My hope is that you find this episode as impactful as I did. I'm pretty confident that you will. Let's dive in. Heather, welcome to the podcast. Jamie, thank you. I'm so excited for this conversation. I know. I am pumped. I was just saying offline uh, or before we hit record that I had just one of those mornings where everything just kind of got hijacked. I was like, oh, I really, I feel like it's meant to be that I'm talking to Heather today. <laughs> A red zone morning. That's what I would call it. You, you know what? I I, I want to get into those zones with you later in the conversation, but I avoided the red zone. I literally was like, I could very well get in the red zone today, but this is not about me. It is about a missing Wayfair light, actually. <laughs> it's like, we're on that later anyway. So for those who may not be familiar with you, give us, can you give us your, your elevator pitch, your little bit yeah. about your story? Every time I tell the story, I always, or the elevator pitch, I always say it differently because it allows you to reflect on like, who am I, which is such a complex question. And I think it's at the core of what I teach. Um, But my background is in social work. So I'm a mother of three boys. They're currently 16, 11 and eight. Motherhood was what cracked me open to personal development. Um, I was 18 when I became a mom and I dove in headfirst into just you know, trying to understand my son's behavior. But I remember the first time I looked at him, I just thought, I already feel like I'm failing as a mother, which is innate into like my quote unquote purpose. And I'm using air quotes because that was not my purpose, but I thought it was. Um, And I just lived for him. And um, I went into social work, became a social worker, ended up working with high risk families trying to understand child development and supporting these families and then at home being a complete hypocrite and yelling and screaming and not taking care of myself. And then I actually left my corporate job and went online and everything started to feel aligned. Like, oh, I'm a teacher. Like I'm supposed to teach and educate. And like, so I left kind of the therapy world, jumped into coaching world, which is very different. People think it's the same. It's very different. Um, I say, I always say you don't go to the dentist for a broken leg and that's how I feel about therapy versus coaching. And then seven years ago, which 
the title of my book is Dying to Be a Good Mother. And people think it's about what happened to me seven years ago, but it's really not. Um, seven years ago, I would say, was kind of the last straw that the universe was sending to me to be like, listen, are you really going to practice what you preach? And are you going to finally dig into the center of the wound of the healing that needs to happen? And so seven years ago, I was diagnosed with a stage four cancer. It was called sporadic burkitts, which is a very rapid growing cancer. And you know, my personality, especially at the time was I got this, I'm a go getter. And I was young and I thought, oh, it's just, you know, stage one. And I had to completely surrender to everything that I wanted to control. Um, and then post that where my business was very child, parent child focused, it was people were coming to me because they wanted to understand their children's behavior. And after that, I really started realigning, like, let's stop making it about the child and focus on you first. And a lot of people had resistance to that, but, you know, it, it, it's a relationship, you know, there's two people in this relationship called parenting. And so that's essentially what I teach women is how to feel good and feel alive. And I believe that we are dying to be good as parents, as mothers, as wives, um, as just humans in the world. And we live in a culture that defines womanhood and motherhood as like how exhausted, depleted, broke, miserable, stressed out are you? Okay, good. Check mark. You're great. Um, and I don't believe that at all. I think uh, the more alive you become, the bigger impact we can make. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, I'm glad you brought up just, you know, your story and cancer and, and because I was watching your TED talk and you were talking about the day you left the hospital mm. and you were saying like you left the hospital, you got the information and you kind of just stopped and looked up and were like, okay, I got it. I'm finally listening. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah. So previous to my diagnosis, so it was December 21st, 2013. So a few days before Christmas, I live in Windsor, Ontario. It's supposed to be snowing. It was raining. It was very weird. I mean, I don't judge our weather anymore because you never know what it's going to be like. But it was very strange day. And when I looked up, I was like, okay, I'm finally listening. Because before that, I... I listened to podcasts before they were cool. I read this, this, you know, personal development books. I, I had coaches, I had mentors. I've spent thousands of dollars. Um, I got on a plane and I've gone to the retreats and I was doing all the work. Um, but I didn't have anyone really stop me in my tracks and say, you know, you're running, like, you know, you're still running away from this work and I can see it in people. Sometimes they, are grateful. I tell them that. And sometimes they're not, um, they're like, but I don't know how, I don't know how. And I just remember like putting my arms down and be like, okay, I don't know what or who I'm listening to because I was still in this phase. I grew up as Roman Catholic. So I was very triggered by the word God and I still hadn't defined it on my own terms. So I was kind of like, okay, universe, there's something bigger here. And I was getting into like energy and angels and all of that. And now, you know, I think it's so personal and everyone can have their own definition and connection to something bigger, but I just 
stop trying to be the one that had to control it all and know the answer and just listen. And that was, I remember literally walking back to the car and I just walked very slow and I was just listening and I was feeling the rain, like, you know, touch me instead of being like, Oh, I'm getting wet and like running to the car. I'm like, feel it, feel it, feel it. And so everything kind of went in slow motion and I could just see everything very, very differently. Yeah. I love that you say universe and that God kind of triggers you because I'm the same way. I know I believe in something. I know mm-hmm. it's not organized religion and it's just, yeah, I always say universe too, or it's just this energy. And I love that people are starting to shift that. I, I hear that more and more now. It's it's not about the institution. It's about your relationship with something that's outside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't, I mean, traditionally growing up, you have your whatever, you know, your whatever you were taught and through your family or through your education. And then I just think everything's an unlearning. Like the more I learn, the more I realize I'm not really learning new information. I'm unlearning what I was taught um, in order to get back to myself. And Mm -hmm. that's a big one because you can be in conversation with people, but traditionally it was like, you have to believe this. And if you don't believe this, you're a bad person. And I'm like, really? Is that true? No, because Mm -hmm. then I can meet somebody else. And I'm like, hey, your beliefs actually allow you to feel more free and aligned and happy. And that's really what we're all after. So then I started like studying people and studying like, what do you believe? How do you live your life? And kind of like letting go of the rest, which of course triggers other people because they think, you're not living a certain life. And I'm like, I'm done with caring what you think about me. I it's yeah. my joy and my freedom is my journey. Yeah. So a lot of stepmoms and moms and just women in my community, they're all, they're like, I want to stop caring what people think. Yeah. Right. Cause you know, we see the quotes on Instagram. It's all about, yeah, do your, live your own life. Don't worry about what other people think, but then you still do. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for women who are just struggling in that space where they're wrapped up in that identity that they think they should have to be the good mom, to be the good stepmom, good wife, good, whatever it is they're, they're trying to achieve to be and still caring what people think. I think the second you become a caregiver of any kind, there is this extra microscope put on you and pressure and so much and judgment, severe judgment put on you. And it feels like this pressure cooker um, and you can't run away from it. You could literally be hiding in your bed and still feel that pressure. And I think as a woman, you decide what you're going to do with that pressure. And for many of us, like for me personally, I grew up as a, I'm a rebel. Like I am a rebel and I grew up as a questioner in school. I was like, why, why do I have to do this? Like, how is it going to help me? And the feedback I would get is like, shut up, be quiet, do what you're supposed to do. And I was like, no, screw you. So I did what I needed to do to like, just get by. But then for some reason, when I became a mother, there was this underlying, I don't want to fail in this role. And so I was like, okay, fine. I'll do what you tell me to do. And oh, this is what successful mothering looks like. So I'll do this. And this is what successful femalehood looks like. And this is what, you know, corporate mom looks like. And this is what blah, blah, blah. And then, but there's, there was that part of me, I was like dead inside. And so when people today are like, I could never do that because they're a people pleaser or the fear of judgment. I'm like, but are you okay of dying? 
Like, are you okay dying? Because yes, I had the physical, almost physically dying, but years before that, my spirit was dying. My mind was dying. Talk about mental health and emotional health. And it's ridiculous, the pressure that culturally is put on women. And so by me saying like, I'm done with this, I'm done with this. I know that yes, it's for me, but it's also for the woman standing next to me. So often when a woman or somebody is like, I am, I have such a fear of judgment. I'm like, but why are they judging you? First of all, that's not even your business, but why are they judging you? Most likely it's because they're jealous or you're, mm-hmm. you're projecting and mirroring something back to them of a wound that they can't heal and the, and just play with it. So try to manipulate yourself to that person and please them. And then you're going to look to your left. And now that person's judging you for the version of you that you've become. So you, you're never going to please anybody else until you get to your breaking point where you're like, I'm done. And you mm-hmm. just have to start. You have to start with your, what I would call like a little micro habit and become this detective, like something as simple as a text message. Like, Hey, do you want to, let's pretend it's, you know, the world is open. Do you want to come to that birthday party this weekend? And you're like, my gut reaction is no, I don't. And I don't want to, you're you're just, you're going to reply. No, thank you. We don't have the capacity for that right now. And then you're going to want to vomit. You're going to want to crap your pants. You're going to want to run away and hide. And you need to feel that. You need to feel your emotions because what happens is it just bottles up inside and then you get angry and frustrated and that comes out on the children and your partner and everybody else. And if you want the joy, if you want the freedom, you also have to feel the contrast of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love you. You just can't be afraid to say no, right? I mean, I think that's what COVID's really taught us too, is how much... Mm-hmm we were doing that we really did not want to do. Cause there was this freeing element of this too, right? Where it's like, man, this empty schedule feels really, really good. And there's things I want to fill it with, but you think back to the things that you want to fill it with, right? Like then they're like, Oh, I do not miss that. I do not miss having to go to that event. This mm-hmm. actually, we can kind of like pick up the pieces and put things back together with the things we actually want to put back together and, and leave yeah. the rest. And I've had to tell people, about my personality. Like they think I'm this big extrovert. I'm like, I'm wildly introverted. I could be a hermit mm-hmm. and I could also probably travel the world by myself if I needed to. And, but there's assumptions that people have and, and I will just tell them it's not personal. Um, I, we don't have a lot of people over at our house and it's not because of a certain thing. It's just, we're homebodies. And so don't take it personal. Right. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. Oh, so I, it's like, I have to educate people sometimes on my boundary. And I'm like, it's not personal. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Nobody comes over. I don't go anywhere. It's, it's not you. It's not you. Um, and I do that just from a place of like, I guess it's education. Um, but if I'm a hell no, at this point in my life, I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. But that, mm-hmm. that's a muscle that takes time. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm definitely flexing that muscle. Now you talk about unlearning. I just want to kind of go back to that. What do you think that women need to do when it comes to that unlearning? Because, and you're like, well, I wrote a whole book on it. No, um, no, my first reaction was like everything, but anyway, go ahead. Everything. 
And, and I, I love what you're saying too. So like, cause people say to me, I could never do what you do. Do you not care what people think? Or someone's going to screenshot what you say. I freaking hope someone screenshots what they say. I'm trying to open up some conversations here. So yeah, if I, if I'm worthy of the screenshot, that's good to start those conversations, right? Just the not caring, but to get to that point, I've definitely had to do some unlearning and healing my own wounds, but there's people who are going to hear that. It's like, well, what do you mean? What do you mean unlearning? So I remember one of the first emails I sent to my list, which probably had 40 people on it. Don't even know where they came from. Um, probably friends and family. And I wanted to vomit. And now having more and more and more exposure, it's been almost a decade that I've been online. There's not a lot. I could probably put a naked picture of myself online. And well, I just did that in a bikini and that was terrifying, but it took me a year to do that. But my point is, I'm very unattached because I now see people's reactions. It tells me more about them than it tells about me. And the more work that I do on my own judgments of other people, the more I'm like, wow, this really has nothing to do with me. Everyone is truly showing you who they are through their behavior. But here's the thing. We need to stop focusing. Like our brain has a negativity bias. The, mm -hmm. You know, we are all the brain up here was designed to keep us safe in like caveman years or cave woman years, cave human years. And your brain will be like, don't go there. Danger, danger, danger. You're like, I'm just I'm just like going to do a live on Instagram. Like, I'm fine. I'm not going to die. Right. But it's fear yeah. of judgment. So when, you know, we're all wise, we're all highly intelligent. So when you begin to understand that, you're like, oh, I'm getting outside my comfort zone. Good. This is a growth opportunity. But what your brain does not understand is that how you're living in your comfort zone is actually probably detrimental to your mental, physical, emotional, spiritual health, which is affecting your relationships and your parenting and every area of your life. So I had to stop focusing on my fear and focus on the deeper desire, which is what I teach women, like what's inside of you. And if you don't tap into that calling, like I had a calling and not only a calling to serve and support other people, but this deeper calling inside of me that was screaming, am I alone in the world? Is any other mother, woman suffering and struggling? So that's why I was hitting publish on those emails and the podcast and start doing these things because my why was bigger than my fear. And I hear mm -hmm. this from people all the time from a, yes, there's the business sense, right? Of the calling, but it's also the personal sense. You're like, I don't, I don't, I will have regrets if my, if I am the same person I am right now on my deathbed. I will actually feel like I have failed as a woman, as a mother, as a spouse, whatever it is. And so I have to consciously focus on my deeper why, like to get my ass out of bed, to post, to send that email. And the fear of judgment is an excuse. Like the fear of judgment is the contrast. That is how we stay safe in society. But then what happens is you hang out with other people who are like, oh, yes, I could never do that, too. And then you have this like self-serving bias where you're like, OK, cool. I've kept myself warm in this cozy little bubble of everyone else who's living a safe life. And, oh, she's so inspiring, but I could never go over there. And it's like, just walk over. You will feel liberated and excited and alive, but you will have to get emotionally uncomfortable. Mm hmm. And then I love hearing you talk about 
being uncomfortable and those uncomfortable emotions, because those are the things that you need to dive into. Like when you're feeling that change is happening, like change isn't going to happen when you're just comfortable. Like you're, you're going to feel like you're going to barf. You're going to feel like you're going to like shit your pants sometimes because you're literally so scared about what's next. Yeah. But if you're not feeling that you're not growing, like you're not, you're just not. And that's where I think I love at the very beginning, we were talking about, I was doing the personal development. I was reading the books. I think there's this, because there's such a push now for personal development and, and, and personal growth. There's people who are reading the books and listening to the podcast. And then there's the people who are doing the work. And there is a difference there because if you're not feeling those things, then you're not moving forward. It's spiritual entertainment. I heard somebody call it one time. You're spiritually entertaining yourself. And so now maybe you've stopped watching Netflix or maybe you're still watching Netflix, but you maybe you're like, okay, I don't watch TV anymore, but now I'm entertaining myself with you know, podcasts and it's going in, which is great, but it's just like putting cream on, I don't know, a huge infection that's bleeding through your arm. I'm just making shit up. These things come out of my mouth, but like you're (laughs) just putting cream and a bandaid on it. And you're like, Ooh, the intense pain has gone away. Right. Mm -hmm. But doing the actual work is trying to figure out where, you know, where that itch came from, where that wound is coming from. And I don't believe this is my belief. I I've done so much therapy and coaching and all of that in my life, even well before I was a mother. Ironically, I enjoyed going to therapy when I was younger. I found it interesting, but that I think that was just my obsession with like psychology and why people do what they do. But, you know, people will focus on, let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about the problem. I'm like, listen, I think it's actually more emotionally uncomfortable to say, what do you want? What do you want? Because as women were taught not to put ourselves even on the to-do list or the calendar or even consider that. So saying, what do you, what do you actually want? Like, is that the life that you want? Is that even the wall color you want? Like, what do you want? And digging into that and having that vision, even if it's, even it's your first shitty draft vision of the desires inside of you, how do you want your relationships to look like? Do you want your children to be going to that school? Do you want to get your ass out of bed that early in the morning? Like, what do you want? Then when you start taking action, like you're talking about the integration of it, the investment of it, the time, the energy, and probably financial resources, your shit will come up. The blocks will come up and then you get to work on the blocks, but we don't need to go searching for the past and healing the past completely before we move into the future because one, you're never fully healed. It's a journey. And two, mm-hmm. they will come right up, right up when you leap into the next level. All right. If you follow along on Instagram, you know, I love a good hoodie. I love a good plain shirt. I love a good plain sweater. I love a good neutral. I'm really about keeping it simple when it comes to my wardrobe. And I love to dress Reese the same. That's why I'm so pumped to partner with Austin Oaks. Guys, when I first had Reese, I struggled to find cute clothes for her because I felt like all of the girl clothes had unicorns and butterflies and sunshine and all those things on them, which is totally fine if that's your style. But again, I like to keep it simple. So when I stumbled upon Austin Oaks, I was sold. It's a unisex clothing line for everyone in your family. Austin Oaks items are designed and manufactured here in Canada, made from high quality 
ultra soft bamboo cotton that is eco-friendly, sustainably sourced, and so freaking soft. Seriously, plain, solid, high-quality pieces for your whole crew. Personally, I am obsessed with their adult bamboo hoodie in ivory and the bamboo crew in gray. And I just ordered Reese the same. You should see the cute outfits that my sister Britt got my nephews. Guys, I can't tell you how obsessed I am with all of their pieces. Cool thing is Austin Oaks ships to both Canada and the U.S. I highly recommend checking them out. You can get all the information. Go shop at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Austin Oaks and then use the code Jamie10 for 10% off your order. Seriously, do yourself a favor. Get yourself a comfortable hoodie. It's going to be perfect for those cool summer nights. You're welcome. All right. So guys, I am always asked what platform I use to run my coaching program. So that's the Kick-Ass Stepmom, Kick-Ass Life coaching program. My membership, the exclusive Stepmom community, my eBooks, just all of the resources that I have. And the answer is Kajabi. So Kajabi is an all-in-one platform where you can host your digital products, your membership sites, your courses, and it has features like email marketing and a blog and a website. You can take payment and basically anything that you need to do or use to run a digital platform. I just looked and I have been using Kajabi since 2019 and have not looked back. Before I was using it, I was using so many different programs to do this and to do that. And I was trying to keep it all organized and it was just too much. The best part of Kajabi though is their customer service. Guys, their support is amazing. I know I've told you this before, but I created this platform and built this platform by Googling and asking for help on help desks. Like, you know, that little square on the bottom of your screen that says, have a question. We're here to help. Yeah. Those people are my best friends and my business coaches. Kajabi also has a library full of video tutorials that walk you through step-by-step everything that you need or want to do. And guys, like when I first started this platform, I had no idea how to do anything when it came to running anything online. And now I design my own websites. I run the back end and the team at Kajabi and their resources have been a huge part in this process. So if you have a digital platform, a coaching business, or are thinking of starting one, I highly recommend Kajabi. Now I am an affiliate. So when you sign up using my link, I receive a small commission that helps support this podcast and all the free content that we share every week. So if you want to check it out, it's www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash Kajabi to get all the information. If you have any questions, reach out. I love talking shop www.jamiescrimshaw.com forward slash K-A-J-A-B-I. When you were going through, you know, this transition and transformation with yourself, how did you declutter those friendships or those, those relationships that you had? Because there had to be a shift in the type of people that you're surrounding yourself with because, mm-hmm. I know my dad always used to say birds with feather flock together. And I thought he was like the lamest person I've ever met. And then I started saying it when I was an adult too. I'm like, Oh, okay. He's like, I get it. I get it. I get it. I, so there's a story I'll talk about regarding when I was going through chemo. And then now I'm a very different person than who I was after then, because I do believe when people say, you know, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with, and I have those people in my life, but I can also be in a room with people who 
haven't done the work and I cannot be triggered. I'm not, I'm not, I can be slightly triggered by them, but I'm not so much triggered by them anymore. But when I was really starting the work, I had to create that distance because it was, it felt vulnerable and I didn't know how to hold that boundary. And that's typically the phases that people go through, especially when I'm working with them, they're like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, you're, it's okay to create safe space for yourself and like absorb all of this and then learn how to like hold the capacity and be in the room and with somebody else who thinks the complete opposite of you, or, you know, they're judging you Mm -hmm. and not letting that seep in. So when I was sick, I remember this was my aha moment of how much I actually held other people up. Um, I've always been, I call myself a recovering rescuer. But I all have always been the go-to person for people. Um, you know, they'd be like, Heather's, you know, grounded, level-headed. Meanwhile, I was like dying, literally dying, like dying inside. And they're like, you look great. I'm like, yeah, that's what happens. We have cancerous tumors in your effing body. You lose weight. You idiot. That's a whole other conversation about diet culture. But anyways, <laughs> um, around that is when I was sick, people didn't know how to manage their big emotions. And so they were, I I started literally doing therapy for people about here I am sick. They're like, I can't handle this. And I was like, this is pretty messed up when I'm coaching you or doing therapy with you on how to handle my diagnosis. And so when I realized the severity of my illness, this is exactly what I did. I could feel their energy. Like if somebody started treating me like I was dying, I'm like, delete. Like I would delete the text. I'm like, you're not allowed to come to my house anymore. And I didn't care what they thought at the moment because I was solely focused on living and feeling alive. But I was watching the energies that were coming towards me. And I just stopped being the person that I used to be for them. So instead of replying to their text messages, I would say, Mm -hmm. I'd send a heart emoji or I'm like, you know, I'm not feeling good today. It wasn't so much that I was lying to them. I just didn't have the capacity. So I would say, I don't have the capacity to talk today, you know, and I would literally send them to a friend who was a therapist and I'm like, here's Amy, you know, call her up, whatever. But they wouldn't because they wouldn't want to invest in themselves and they just wanted me to be that person. Right. So these energy vampire people, I just let them go. And it was okay. And then people who I didn't know could hold capacity for me showed up. But we have to realize we are nature. And I think about trees and looking out my window and how every year the leaves fall and then new ones grow. And that is the uncomfortable truth about growth in life. So even if you're hanging on for dear life to people because you're terrified to let go, because that's typically what we do is we're white knuckling everything. We're trying to control everything. We're not surrendering to the truth of the cyclical cycle of life, which is you have to like death is part of the process. And what I've realized is I thought in a traditional sense, death is when people die. But grief, like the feeling you have when somebody physically passes is very similar when you are grieving the loss of a relationship of somebody that's still alive. Mm -hmm. And on a deeper, deeper, deeper level, I've had that same feeling with grieving the loss of my old self. Like I will never be, I may, who knows? I'm, I can't predict the future, but I will never be the depressed version of myself that I was before. Like I feel so far removed from her and grieving the loss of that was incredibly difficult because I realized 
dang, like she, her and I, we did lots together. Like she got me through a lot and it's, it's uncomfortable emotionally. So again, if we're not willing to feel, then we can't, we can't let joy in either. Mm-hmm. That's so true. What were you like back then in turn, when you were struggling with motherhood and struggling with trying to be it all and do it all for, for everyone? What was that like for you? I was like, which version of me? My, like, which my first, yeah, my first mothering experience, like when I was a single mom. So I came into motherhood single, 18. I was on government assistance. I was severely depressed. The only reason why I got out of bed was for my son. Like he was my reason for existence. In the book, I talk about when he started school, um, I met my now husband when he was 18 months old and I tried to push, 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 push him away. He was the complete opposite of what I was attracted to. So he was a good human and, um, (laughs) not a drug addict. And, um, he, you know, he stuck around, but I remember when I was pregnant with my second and I was, there was this weird gap between my first going to school and I was pregnant with the second. I had like a month or two where I did nothing because I wasn't in school. I wasn't working. Cause I was like that last month or so of pregnancy. I was so severely depressed because when I wasn't mothering, I didn't know what to do. Like I literally did not know how to get off the couch And I did barely ate because I found food incredibly overcomplicated. And this whole like, if it's not organic, you're going to die. And I was like, we can't afford organic. Like, what am I supposed to do? Like all that ridiculousness. And I grew up with very little food, like bologna sandwiches and not a lot in the fridge. And so I didn't know that that was like, there was just so much all at once. Like the trauma was there. And then I just was so determined to live and feel alive. So that's when I found personal development and I started digging into it. And I'm like, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit better. And I'm looking around at like every person in my life because nobody else did personal development. I'm like, I found the secret. I found the secret, everyone. And they're like, you're weird. <laughs> you're weird. And I was like, well, heck, I've been weird my whole life. So then slowly I would get more and more and more energy back. And then I just keep digging. So now my... My focus in life now is how good can it get? Where mm-hmm. back then was like, am I going to survive through the day? And now I'm just like, how good can it get? How good can it get? How good can it get? Like energy, money, time, capacity, business, like growth and sustainability, parenting. How great can these relationships get? I'm a completely different person. So when people look at me now, they're like, Oh, well, Heather, this, 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 this. And I was like, those are great stories that you're telling yourself. But do you also want me to tell you the story of when I wanted to like end my life? Um, And the only reason why I held on was because I was a mother and I didn't want to do that to my son. Or when I was vomiting and shitting the bed at the exact same time in the hospital by myself. And I'm like, I'm ready to go. Or, you know, when you're lying in fetal position, terrified of how you're going to pay your bills And you know, the reason why you got into that place was because you were terrible. You were just afraid of putting yourself out there. So we all have those moments and nobody talks about them and you just get stronger and stronger and stronger every time. But I now look, I call it contrast. I did not invent that. Um, Contrast is what you don't want, right? So you meet other people and you're like, 
I don't want that life or I don't want to feel like that when I'm 60 or 70 years old. So I'm going to be proactive now. And I watch people my age who my friends from school who have done no personal development work and I see where they're at and they're not yet at that midlife crisis moment. And and I'm just like, not this, not this. And it's contrast. And I observe their excuses and I, I try not to judge. I'm just observing and being curious but I'm like, okay, now I know when that excuse comes up in my head, not to take the action or inaction that they're taking. So yeah, I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. I love it. I could talk to you forever. I do want to switch gears though, because I want to talk about parenting piece. This is reading on your Instagram. You were talking about your son wanting to come sleep with you or it was it was something like that and you're talking about like setting emotional boundaries with your kids and I would love to dive into that and hear a little bit more about that because I think that's where so many moms get caught up right because they think that you know we need to be there all the time and solve all of our kids problems and make sure they never hurt and and all of that and that's actually not helping anyone no This is my favorite. So this is why I got into what I do. And it's kind of the core of what I teach. So a lot of people will come to me with parenting as a pain point, and some of them don't at all. But remember, reframing that parenting is just a relationship. It's not even the whole industry is like parenting. And you're like, it's not any different than marriage. Um, except typically you can't divorce your children. I mean, legally you can, um, I think, but a lot of people don't. And so it's like that constant, you're like, if I don't fix this, I can't run away from it. And I say that because it's, it's the connection you have with you and your child and how you do one thing is typically how you do everything. So how you show up in one relationship will spill over into another. So this situation in itself. So my boys are 16, 11, and eight. I have never spent more time with my children than I have in the last 14 months. Okay. And, and I've been reflecting on that. I actually don't feel any more connected to them. So time does not equal connection to me because I have a really good connected relationship with my boys because I came from that from the beginning, um, because that was a focus for me because I felt very disconnected with my own parents as a child, which is just, I think, how our parents grew up and we have access to so much more than we did then. Also understanding that saying, I need to do everything for my child, I need to be there all the time is such a privileged thing to say. Like, I wish my mother was thinking that, which I know she was, but she was also like, I got to work, honey, and I got bills to pay. No one else is paying these bills. So, and it comes from this emotional place of guilt or shame. Guilt means I'm doing something bad. If you're working and your work brings you joy and you're feeling guilty about it because your child's knocking on your office door or crying and you're like, I feel bad then now you have the story around your work that like, when I work, I am bad. And I had that forever. And then shame or sorry, work is I'm doing something bad. If you're guilt, if you feel guilt, shame is I am bad. And when you feel shame, that's like a whole vibration thing of I'm going to hide and just never fully show up as myself. 
So when my kids challenge me, and I say children are emotional manipulators, we all know this, right? You're like, you're not even crying. You're fake crying right now. But then we buy into it because it's it's triggering our own childhood wounds of when we did not feel seen. So my middle son is highly sensitive. He always has been. And one of our connection times, so during the day, he'll go do his thing. But then he has this thing where like at night he wants to be with me. And like what mother wouldn't want that? And he's also in this phase where I'm like, in a year or so, you're not going to want to like do this anymore. So I got to absorb it all. But where do I cut off myself and honor myself in this relationship? And it's one of those intuitive things. And that day I was like, honey, I lay with you every night. And I just, I was like, Heather, are you going to be resentful laying there being like, I got to do this again? Or are you really going to be all there? And my gut was like, you're not going to be all there. And there's going to be a little anger and resentment mixed into it. And I was like, then I will not spill and project that anger and resentment onto my child. So I'm just going to honor it. But here's, here's the key. Typically when we're giving this feedback to our kids, we're angry and resentful and we're like, no, leave me alone. Go to your room. I'm done with this. And if you can't, it's very like assertive because that's what we were taught. And I was like, I see you. I get it. Not tonight, honey. And he had his tears and he did what he did. I don't even remember how I wrote the post, but he had his big emotions. And I was like, yeah, you're upset. You're allowed to own that. That's not mine to manage for you. So he knows, okay, if I cry or if I act a certain way, then she's going to give in. And I hear this from women all the time. I'm like, you have to start taking radical responsibility for how you want to feel. And every time you give in, when you're not honoring yourself, you're literally teaching your child how to treat you. And you can't keep blaming your child for the lack of responsibility that you are willing to take for your own life. Like you can't. So I'm like, I get it. You're frustrated, but guess what? You're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to be mad. And my eight-year-old does this too. And then I'm like, I see you're angry. He's like, yeah, I'm angry. I'm like, you're allowed to be angry. And then I just, I'm like, all right, I walk away. Two minutes later, he's like, crap, that didn't work. Okay. Or I'm like, you were just angry. You had an outburst. You're fine. But I also had to become really intimate with my own anger so that I wasn't afraid of theirs. Wow. That was so powerful. (laughs) That was deep. That was good. That was really good. It's okay for our kids to have hard emotions. It's okay for them to be sad and be frustrated and be disappointed And I think we try to prevent them from experiencing that. And that's actually not helping them. No. You know what I hear from a lot of women? So my oldest, 16, and I mean, heck, your child, if you have a boy, could be, or a girl, um, could be in their teens and they're bigger than you. They're stronger than you. And Mm -hmm. if your child does not have emotional intelligence and you are physically and emotionally afraid of your son or daughter, so then you've lost your power. You've completely lost your power. So how, how it doesn't matter what age. I mean, I work with people who have grown ass adult children and they're able to reconnect that relationship and heal. So it's never, people be like, oh, where were you when my children were this age? I'm like, even if I was around, you probably wouldn't have listened to me. So (laughs) never late, like start where you are, start where you are, because 
you know, we want to avoid it because it's emotionally uncomfortable. But when my oldest can be having a temper tantrum and angry, I can emotionally manage it and never feel afraid of him. Where I know a lot of women are like, I'm afraid of my son. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. you got to work on that shit because you're just, you're literally repeating a pattern and it's not going to go down well. Um, So if you don't deal with it when they're small, just, you know, the whole timeouts, the whole, you know, yeah, you can control them. They're little, you can control their behavior, but what are you going to do when they're stronger than you? Um, You've got to work on those interpersonal skills. For sure. Now I want to move over to the red, green, and yellow zones. Yeah. You talk a lot about that in your book. Can you share what that is? Because I think that it's anyone who I know who's familiar with you and your work is like, this has been a game changer. Yeah. Um, They're sometimes known as the zones of regulation. I openly say I have no idea where I learned them from. Um, I'm a very practical person and very visual. So you see a stoplight. We know what to do with the green. Go. Yellow, you're going to have to slow down soon. Red, stop, right? And I always, like when I'm observing behaviors in myself, in my husband, in my kids, in another human, I literally am thinking, what color are they? That's what I'm thinking. And every time, so I talk about this like a whole chapter in the book. Um, My workbook talks about it. I podcast about it. But we traditionally try to solve problems in our red zone. So somewhat you're screaming and yelling, right? The child's losing their mind, partner's losing their mind, and you're, you're fighting and you're like, what's wrong with you? It's like your brain is on fire. You cannot talk about anything. So just walk away, right? You just got to mm-hmm. hose, it's like two dogs arguing, you just hose them down, walk away, walk away, walk away. You can't solve any problems in your red zone. Um, yellow zone, you know, red is coming, but this, I always hear from people, I don't have a yellow zone. My child, I I go from green to red or my child goes from green to red. And I'm like, no, you're not paying attention. And this is where mindfulness comes in. And this is where being connected to your body comes in. So often when I'm doing some activities with people, they're like, I can't get into my body because we're living up here in our head, like from the neck up. But they can't, like your body is, is beautiful. It's constantly sending you signs and symptoms, like overwhelm. It, people think that's a lifestyle. Like that's just, I was like, no, it's a symptom. So when you're overwhelmed, you may, that may be your yellow zone. And that's, you're like, I got to stop. I got to realign and reassess. But if you kind of bypass that and you're like, I'm overwhelmed, I got to push through, then you're going to go into red and you may become burnt out. So when the green zone is where everybody loves to be. And this is also where you need to practice your habits Uh, self-care rituals routines and then as soon as people feel good they're like oh I'm good I'm just going to abandon everything that has made me feel good and then they go in this (laughs) feast or famine cycle so I'm like keep beating your face against the wall until you're ready to take radical responsibility so this is with every area of your life so I think about money I'm like are we in green are we like yellow? Are we red? Like, do we need to look at something? You know, how's our marriage? How's our relationships? Where are we? So I use the colors for everything, but I'll wake up and I'll say, Oh gosh, like I'm in the red. Like I'm feeling very anxious. It may be because my cycle's coming. It may be from something I ate the day before. And so I'm constantly checking in, 
But the beauty thing, the beauty thing, the beautiful thing with parenting is you begin to start this dialogue with your children, even if they're small, and you can see why did they go into their red? What was it? Can I like backtrack in my mind of what, like close your eyes and visualize what happened before they had their tantrum? What happened before they lost it? And at first you may not be able to identify what it is, but with practice, because you are the guru of your life, you're the detective, you will figure it out. I did this for my morning routine when we first started like this whole process years ago. I was like, I am determined to not have a red morning. And it came down to the socks. It came down because my middle son has like sensory processing. And I was like, oh my gosh, all the added stress, like we were all good, green, maybe a little yellow, but we went to red when I asked him to put socks on. So I realized that he didn't like the feeling of the socks. And I was like, I don't care if you wear the same effing socks every day, tell me which ones you will wear. And we figured it out that night. And I went to the store and bought 80 pairs of the same sock and threw out all the other socks. And I was like, really? That was all I needed to do? Like, you just watch where your moments of stress is, do something about it, and then you're living more in your green. I love that. I talk to stepmoms all the time when we're kind of going through, like, your stepfamily stressors and, you know, things that are going to come up. Because typically the things that stress you out or put you in your red zone are it's cyclical, right? Like, you know what, you know what they are before they happen. So it's like, how do you be proactive so that that doesn't happen? How do you plan your reactions? How do you mitigate the stress? Yeah, that is so good. I love it. And and I want to say something. So I know a big stressor is the communication with like co-parenting or not co-parenting, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. People say co-parenting when there's not always a lot of co- in the parenting. Yeah, exactly. So you're talking to somebody else that you don't have control over. This is my go-to when you're discussing and having an uncomfortable conversation with someone and you see that they went from green to red or they're living in their red zone because they just want to punish you because you're alive. Who knows? I will (laughs) not, I will not have a conversation in my life at this point. And it's been a few years with anyone in their red zone. So the second I start to engage and I see them rising, I go, oh, I see now's not, and I say it very calmly. I see now's not a good time. Let's have this conversation tomorrow. The first time I did this with my husband and the first time I did this with my oldest, it took me a week to have a conversation. And that's an an emotional boundary. So write this down, everyone. You teach people how to treat you. So if there's somebody in your life that you need to have an uncomfortable conversation with, just say, no, I will not raise my voice and I will not go into the red. That's my boundary. So you feel it. You're like, oh, okay, let's have this conversation tomorrow. You re-engage in the conversation. Oh, they went to red again. I see you're still not ready. Let's have this conversation. And every day, every day, every day until they finally surrender. And they're like, oh, She won't engage with me when I try to be defensive, when I try to control, Mm -hmm. when I try to emotionally manipulate and you hold it. You're like, no, I just won't. And I did that with my child. And he's like, damn, mom, I tried so hard. And you just you were like, nope. And I did that with my husband, too. We don't argue. People are like, tell me your secret. Like the secret is 
I will not have a conversation when they are in their red or I am in my red and I will not raise my voice. I will say, I see you are not ready or you don't have the capacity for this. And then the key is to circle back, circle mm-hmm. back. And be consistent with it. Cause I, I can hear people who are dealing with maybe like a high conflict co-parenting situation being like, no, that would not be received well. It doesn't matter if it's received well. It's, it's your boundary. It's not going to be received well at all. No. And it's going to get way worse before it gets better, especially when you're in a relationship with someone who has used emotionally manipulative tactics on you for a very long time. Um, those emotional boundaries that you have to hold, you need to be rock steady on. And I honestly, if you're in one of those situations, I would be role playing with somebody because yeah. it's like you got to enter and you're like, I'm stronger than heck. One hundred percent. Heather, thank you so much. You are amazing. Where can everyone find you? Yeah, so I'm really active on my podcast, Mom is in Control. And I talk about everything, but um, I did, it's pretty much just feeling in control from the inside out. I talk a lot about emotional freedom. I swear a lot. I tell ridiculous stories. Um, the book, Dying to Be a Good Mother, can be purchased anywhere. Books are sold online. It will be coming out on Audible's. I think the next month or so um, and send me a message on Instagram. I love when people listen and let me know where they found me. So I'm at Heather Chauvin, C-H-A-U-V-I-N. Love it. Well, we will send everyone there. Thank you so much for chatting today. This was, this was the therapy I needed Aww, <laughs> or the coaching you, not therapy. <laughs> so good. Thanks, Jamie. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast, give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.